welcome to Northern Natter, a podcast by journalists for journalists who don't want to move down south. If you are just getting into the industry, studying or soon to be graduating, then this is for you. We're sharing all the tips and tricks and stories from people in the industry from Scotland and Northern England. I'm Katie Williams, one half of a Katie duo. I'm from Stirling in Scotland and last year I graduated with a journalism and film degree. Since then, I have worked with BBC Scotland, creating content for their BBC The Social online platform. I'm Katie Baggett, from Sunderland and graduated last year with a journalism degree. I've worked at community radio station Spark and various news websites. I now work in higher education, but also freelance as a radio presenter and audio producer. There are stories and opportunities in Northern England and further north in Scotland, and we want to find out how we can get them because we don't want to move to London. Thank you so much for coming and welcome to Northern Natter. So today we have two very different types of journalists with us. We have Liz and Richard and like a dating show, can you guys do a little introduction to yourselves, who you are, what you do, name, age, where you come from? Is there a theme tune? <laughs> well, I feel like I need to put in like a blind date song like underneath it. <laughs> I am uh, Lisa Marie Ferla Wiss. I am 38 years old. I live in Glasgow and I am a legal journalist by day and a music journalist by night. I'm uh, Richard Bellis and I'm 23. I just had to check that because I think, yeah, my birthday was last week, so I'm 23 now. And <laughs> I'm a Facebook community reporter for the Northern Echo in the Northeast. So in this episode, we're going to be chatting about freelancing and staff jobs. How did you kind of like start off a new job? How did you know you kind of wanted to go into journalism? I think that's a good starting point. When I did my my journalism degree, my master's in journalism, I remember starting an essay about how I I wanted to get into journalism with, I always wanted to be a writer. And I was told that that's not the way you're supposed to do it. But basically, yeah, my, my background is I did a degree in law and a master's in journalism. Wanted to be some sort of writer, but my mother, who was a guidance teacher, had warned me off specialising too young and wanted me to get a broad-based academic degree. So that was why I went for law, which was hard work, an interesting experience, but also I think something that stood me in good stead when I was at the point where I was doing my master's and they were asking everyone what their degree was in, and mine turned out to be in law. The lecturers were dead excited because they were like, well, you've kind of got a built-in specialism right there. Of course, it wasn't my dream. My dream was always to write about music which I now do freelance, so I kind of have the best of both worlds. And the freelance music writing, it's kind of spun out from a few things. I had a blog, wrote about music on there, and it was a bit of a portfolio, and some of the publications that I write for find me through that. But at the moment, my main outlets are, I have a monthly column in the Scots Magazine, which is new music focus. I do album reviews for Uncut and write for a couple of other websites as well. What about you Richard? I think it all started when I went to Teesside Uni and did film and TV production and I thought that was something new and I'd done A-levels in like history and politics and things so I was kind of like bored of the essay right now and wanted to have something more hands-on but I ended up hating it. I thought oh where can I take this? You know I like history and politics but I also like the sort of media sort of element 
So I ended up getting place in second year as a broadcast journalist student at the University of Sunderland. I just went from there really looking, expanding my journalism knowledge and, you know, getting work experience in print, online, radio and TV. And then when it came to graduating and applying for jobs, I thought I could just have a go at anything. So I just put my CV forward for like every sort of journalism and I ended up getting a print journalism job. Coming from a broadcast journalism degree, it was pretty difficult to start with. I got settled down in the end. It was a long, difficult road. You still want to do broadcast? Yes, definitely in the future. But what I find with broadcast is that a lot of the People who are in broadcast have started and worked their way up, built up a career, and then broadcast bit is kind of like final piece on the top. I mean, I suppose there's other ways of doing it now with like YouTube and things. There's multiple ways to it, but uh, I think it's for the future. So, are you quite happy with the uh, with the print with the community reporter then? I'd say it's a decent little job that teaches you everything you need to know for your first job, really. How a newsroom, there's only so much you can learn on a work experience project, you know, like uh, a week in a newsroom. You don't fully grasp everything within a week, whilst this job allows you to kind of hone your skills and improve my English anyway, because I've gone from writing scripts to writing actual articles into a paper. And... It allows you to, you know, know what it's like to make a, a contact list to to get out on a patch and things. You don't have to tackle the complicated hard stuff like court and law and things, which I'm kind of afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe Liz can give you some tips then on how to combat that. When I did my master's, we had a media law module and everyone in the course came to me for help. I I mean, like I passed, but I didn't pass, you know, with flying colours, which was a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I really struggled with my media law. I don't think I mentioned it on a podcast, but yeah, I really, really struggled with it. I remember, <laughs> I remember like doing one of the essays, and me and my friend was texting throughout it, being like, "Oh, I'm really struggling." I finished first, and she was like, "Oh, can I see yours?" I was like, "Yeah, sure," and I sent it off to her, and we both got the exact same really low mark. Oh no! <laughs> I think I think part of the issue with media law is how fast it's changing and you know there's been big developments and things like the law of defamation in recent years because the way in which we report is changing from print to online and you know people can access your work from all over the world and what laws apply and it's definitely it's, it's a tough ask I don't I don't envy students. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me because before I started journalism at Sunderland I was going to go for a law degree. Media law was interesting. I just passed module at uni. I don't think I've got that sort of brain for like remembering facts and retaining knowledge. I think I'm all right in exams but that sort of style of the media law nctj just doesn't suit me like or it didn't at the time i think i'd probably go back to it in the future and look into it more mm. but at the time in second year i was just like i'd rather focus on my degree do my dissertation and actually graduate than juggle too many things so then i go back into in the future to look at but i'm glad i just took that decision at the time really what did you do for your first job pretty much the same approach that richard had you know apply for any job going with journalism in it and I think anybody listening to this having looked at the journalist job market it's not it's not exactly rich pickings at the best of times and then it got to the point where I was just like well you know this has been a year I need to 
work. I went to a recruitment agency in Glasgow and at the time this training company had a little in-house magazine. They took me on as an admin assistant and they said we're going to give you this little magazine of your own. You know go do what you like with it and I did. So my first journalism job was as the editor of my own magazine. It was very much you know a kind of salesy interviews with people that had done the paralegal course, photos of folk in their graduations, you know, came 2008 and a great big recession, which hit the legal market particularly hard. I was made redundant from that job, back to work in retail for 18 months. And, um, you know, was still sort of looking for a way, a way back into the legal industry, really. I wasn't even thinking of journalism at that stage. I was doing my blog and writing bits and pieces, but I thought, oh, journalism, you know, it's never going to really work out. It's never going to actually pay the bills. I need to just get a steady job. And I was really, really lucky that the steady job I found was with Pinsent Mason's, the international law firm, as one of the reporters for their legal news website. And I've been there almost 10 years now. When I, when I lost my job and I was working in retail, I thought, well, you know, maybe this is the time that I can build on freelance journalism and write about music for people. And it never took off until I had a full-time job again. <laughs> One of my sort of areas of specialism is employment law. And I was writing about things like the right to request flexible working. And one day I went to my boss and said, um, so, you know, I've got a right to request flexible working. Could I maybe go down to four days a week? The way the right to request flexible working works is that if you've been in the job for, I think it's two years, your employer has to consider your rights to request and they can say no, but they have to have a reason to say no, which means I can spend my Mondays doing, you know, my columns and recording things like this, doing a little bit of radio work. I have kind of got to the point where I basically have the dream mix of work. I think as much as I love music journalism, it's not guaranteed income. And I think if I was doing that full time, I'd kind of lose the love of it. Being able to go back to, I guess, like a more sort of academic field of interest, which I have training in. And the, as Katie was saying, you know, her brain didn't quite work in that same way. I think a bit of my brain does work in that analytical way. Well, that sounds really interesting, though. You hear of people that you just do it to kind of get money, but you sound as if you're happy in where you are in life. The only thing that I'd kind of like to make clear about that is that it has taken me a lot of work to get to that point and a lot of sort of missteps and a lot of trying to balance the two things. You know, it's probably obvious that I'm a bit older than everyone else in this chat. So, you know, if you're listening to me going, yeah, my life is great, my work's brilliant. It's only because I'm really old. <laughs> More experience, you're not really old, don't you? <laughs> so, Richard... What's it like working in the job you are now? Do you feel as if the skills you learnt during your degree have helped you to like build up your skill set in the job you are now in terms of like shorthand or the NCTJ or kind of the modules you learn at uni? Going into the job straight after uni, I think I got it before the graduation ceremony. So we graduated in July and I had it in June. So I was coming in straight out of uni and coming off a journalism course you think you know it all you, you really do you think you can just go in there and be like yeah I'm gonna do this this and this oh boy <laughs> it's um you really do get a dose of reality when you uh, start working in the real world the skills you learn at uni do help a lot more academic at uni so you do essays about like the state of the news room and the state of news in the UK and things 
yeah it's good to have that knowledge but it doesn't really help in the job you need to really understand where to get the news from and things because obviously we had news days at uni and things and usually we'd come in have a meeting and you know maybe the lecturer might suggest a story or something there's not really many people suggesting stories because they have got it for themselves you have to go out and find your story yourself sometimes someone might give you a story but really it's about going out there making the effort making contacts which you're told to do that at uni but you you don't really because you're busy there's all these different things where you get stories from like i've got one durham county council's planning portal where they put all the planning permission stories and things and getting my head around that that was completely alien to me i didn't understand how to do a story about planning permission and now they're just bread and butter for me but it's just basically from just trial and error at the start really i think it's because i have a lovely team at the echo that i could afford to do trial and error like at the start i was making so many mistakes because i thought i had a degree i think this is right this is the way i'm going to do it and then they'll come up to me and say well richard you didn't quite do this right we'll go through it like this this is how it's supposed to be done and uh, maybe next time a few tries later i finally hit the nail on the head and get there do you think then that it is completely necessary to go to university or do you think if people were just to go in as work experience you know maybe a, a kind editor would be like yeah sure come in for a couple of shifts and see how you get on and go through that way i'm i'm speaking for print journalism here i'm not sure about the other ones but I think as long as you have like a degree in something where you can show that you've got writing, even law, something where you show that you can write essays and write things, you would probably be fine in a newsroom. People with a journalism degree might be considered more, but I think there's no reason why they wouldn't consider you. Without the NCTJ diploma, you have to do a apprenticeship route whereby they train you up to get the NCTJ diploma, which a lot of graduate journalists will already have. We've got people at The Echo who've got degrees in creative writing and history and English. They go on their uh, diploma and they do really well. And in fact, their English is probably better than mine. Every day's a learning day. You improve your English as you go. There are definitely arguments that there's no need to, to have a degree. There should definitely be other routes. And obviously access is a huge debate in loads of professions, not just our own. As long as you can learn the newspaper's style or the mm. magazine's style, you'll be okay, which it might take a bit to get, get to grips with, but you'll get there in the end. One of the big things I found was when I was doing, I was doing a story today and they were on about like this big project, which is so many hectares big. And I was like, what's a hectare? What's, a, what's an acre? <laughs> is it? And all these farmers in rural Weirdale, where I cover, they use imperial measurements. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what a furlong is. I don't know what a, that is. <laughs> You know, you have to learn all this stuff and it takes a while, but you, you get there in the end. Uh, I'm now an expert on pubs, sheep and all sorts. Well, <laughs> I claim to be anyway. And that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's about serving your reader, not serving your own knowledge. So that's why even if you think, oh, these terms are archaic and we all learn metric at school, that's what the people who are reading your content understand. So it's important that you do develop those concepts question we were speaking about in another podcast but do you feel that that your regional accent or being regional has sort of limited you no 
but I guess part of that is when you're writing for online, nobody knows what you talk like anyway. But the accent thing, it's something that I find really, really interesting because, you know, having done a law degree at the University of Glasgow, having come from, you know, a normal background, I think my accent certainly isn't as refined as a lot of the people that I come into contact with working in the legal profession. It switches depending on who I'm talking to, certainly. And doing radio work has probably helped with that a lot as well. My radio voice, my podcast voice is, is, you know, like a a, a cultured West of Scotland accent. (laughs) (laughs) Short answer, no, it hasn't held me back. But I can see how it would have done. And it's certainly something that's always been in the back of my mind, if you know what I mean. What about yourself, Richard? I haven't really been held back by it but uh, I don't even know what my accent is because although I'm from Middlesbrough I don't sound like it but uh, I think I've kind of picked up a few words from County Durham and especially Newcastle area. I love saying way I man, um, <laughs> that's a favourite of mine. I don't put an accent on it, I just say it in my normal accent so it sounds even weirder. Um, yeah, well, I do, I do the same and so does my mum, like me and my mum, I have more of a Scottish twang than my mum but we both are from the Highlands, so we say, where you fae, instead of where you're from. But my mum says it in a very, like, neutralised British accent. Oh, are you fae Elgin? Oh, I'm fae Elgin too. I love regional accents. I think the Geordie accent should be protected. We nutted to Tom Taylor, freelance journalist from Manchester. So, although I studied history at university rather than journalism I still did journalism on the side throughout so at the end of my first year I joined the student newspaper as the deputy features editor. The way that I got involved in the BBC in Bristol I brought the investigation to them which I'd come across as a deputy features editor at Epigram which was about rogue student landlords. I met with this broadcast journalist and he was really interested in the story Together we worked on it for about six months and finally it eventually went to broadcast. That sort of gave me a a foot in the door and from that I got a month's worth of experience as a researcher. I definitely say if you think you're competent at writing then maybe try making videos and if you usually write news then maybe try write an opinion piece or a feature. I think it's always really good to keep your options open in terms of what type of journalism you want to go into. Northern Natter, where we do look at getting jobs outside of London. But have either of you been tempted to move to London for your work? Not a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, come on, Liz. Uh, Richard, what's your answer? I I wish I could say the same. I, you know what? There was a time in my life where I absolutely hated London. I said it's too big, it's too busy, it's just too much going on. But then, you know, after visiting a few times and getting to know the place. I thought, if this is where all the investment and all the money is going, maybe I should go one day. But still, the big smoke is a little scary. So how has the pandemic affected your job? And this is to both of you as well. The pandemic for me, I was just saying this earlier, I feel like I don't want to say anything that I later regret, but I would like to say I've kind of got through 2020 rather unscathed by the whole thing. I think I got lucky because, you know, February, March, 
of March came around and they said work from home. And this is before lockdown. So I was like, oh, great, work from home. Lovely. But I do go out on stories, Durham and, and Stockton and Darlington. I've been sent to Vox people. And as much as we all hate boxing people, I don't mind it because it got me out of the house. I think from my opinion, like starting a job in the middle of the pandemic was interesting to say the least. I work at the students' union that me and Richard went to at Sunderland. I feel with like print journalism, broadcast, like education as well, like whatever industry you're in, I don't know if it was time to adapt. I don't know if the pandemic's like made us all think we can work from home, communicate on teams and zoom and i think in a way if you're going into the office you tend to chat a bit more on zoom you get your objectives and like your things for the day set in order like it's great at chat and stuff and i kind of do miss it but also it, i think the pandemic showed us like what we can actually do in a job and how flexible people can be to a certain extent i don't know what your thoughts are on that in terms of like we've been able to set this podcast up during the pandemic I've been, you know, learning more skills. So yeah, that's been good in terms of pandemic stuff. I think for people, they've got to take lockdown and just do what they can to improve their skills. Like you've set up a podcast and in lockdown, I had a bit more free time. So I started, you know, trying to do YouTube videos again and things. So you just got to use this time and use it well because they're probably, I know you don't want a lock, another lockdown, but there probably won't be another time like this. Well, I hate you all because I have never been so busy in my <laughs> life. And that's mostly because with the end of in-person events and things like that, the only way in which lawyers have to get their message out to the outside world is to go through the firm's website. The only way to get things onto the firm's website is to go through myself and a colleague. It has been chaos. All of this free time that everyone else has had to bake banana bread and learn new skills, I have not had a bit of that. Part of that as well has been, I guess, because of the impact of lockdown on my mental health. And it's not it's not just lockdown, you know. I'm quite an introverted person anyway, but there's been various big things happening in my family this year. Um, my mother got married. My sister, who lives in Dubai, is pregnant. My cat died. Um, you, you, know, got new, all... you got a new one. I... <laughs> 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 just, yeah, my cat died, but I got over it. <laughs> no, we did, we, did, we did get a kit. Uh, she is a hell beast. I didn't realise um, that, you know. <laughs> no, I know you know how sorry I was about <laughs> big biggie. <laughs> big biggie. But yeah, like it, it's been it's been a really chaotic time. Richard, would you ever go freelance? Freelance. And if you would, what what type of journalism would you do? <sighs> freelance to me is a very scary word. When someone says do you want to go freelance, I kind of like shiver a little bit. I didn't then because there's a radiator behind me, but um <laughs> I'd like to do like freelance broadcast stuff, but I know that's quite rare. I think my advice would be find out where your priorities lie. Balancing a job and freelancing can be hard, but it can be rewarding. I think at uni, they, they give you so much. I think work experience and getting a placement and finding like freelance and stuff, it's up to your own devices to find it. I mm. think that if you, if you come out of uni and you freelance to build up a portfolio, Mm. And, you know, you're struggling to find, like, a, a permanent sort of job. Freelancing will get you that job. It may take a year or two, 
three, five, ten, I don't know. But it will inevitably get you somewhere where you want to be. Uh, you know, I had my big plan when I got major redundant working in retail. I would have more time and I would do it. And I didn't. And all the opportunities came around when I was working full time again. Um, I don't know is the answer. I think um, where I would struggle to freelance more would be coming up with my own ideas. Um, and it helps me with my mental health conditions to have the structure of a job. So I think I've got the balance right in that I get to do a little bit of what I want and a little bit of what I have to. Um, and if the pandemic related anxiety went away, it would probably be easier. I think I can relate to that. I really like having the structure of a job, like even if a job that I don't particularly love, bar work and waitress in it is, it's sociable, gets me out of the house, gives me some form of structure. But same as you, I struggle with coming up with ideas and see these pe people who just like throw pictures like constantly and you see mm -hmm. them being like, oh, I sent off 11 pictures today. I'm like, what, how, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> are you and then and it's like, before we came on here, I was um, saying to Katie that I'm trying to find is it Hate Hattie or Haiti? Um, she does the breakdown mental health um, mm -hmm. magazine online. Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard of that? I, I can't remember. I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. I think it's Haiti. And I think is that Hattie Hattie Gladwell or something? Yeah, Hattie. Yeah. yeah. So she's put up a thing being like, um, she's looking a call for pitch and she wants it by like tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I could do this one. But then like, I got my notepad out. I'm just like, now what? The definition of local community journalism from like the northeast and scotland as well like regional do you think covid has helped turn that around or do you think it was a long time sort of coming and it was going to change anyways do you mean that do you think covid's helped it thrive regional news i think so because obviously people have kind of lost contact with each other you know, especially where I cover in rural Weirdale, it's full of like uh, elderly people who have to like shield and things. So their only way of connecting with the outside world is through news. What keeps them in contact with people close by will be the echo. You know, they'll find out what their local museum's doing. And it's those sort of things that a national paper can't uh, provide. And even like BBC local news wouldn't cover that sort of thing. Regional papers that sort of go into a community and get under the skin of the community and basically provide something that that community wants to read, wants to look at and kind of say, oh yeah, that's, that's my neighbour, he's, he's running up and down the hills for, you know, charity. If local papers can come out of this with, you know, real jobs for young reporters, and real trusted local news, that would be a wonderful thing and I wholeheartedly encourage it. And why not give us a follow on social media over at Northern Natter? We're on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify and Google Podcasts. 
And don't forget to share and follow us to keep up to date. And we really appreciate the support. So for me, Katie Williams. And me, Katie Baggett. This is Northern Natter.